Welcome back, Fight Fans, to episode number 199A of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, and we got a lot to discuss this week. Loaded week. A lot of stuff to review, man. We had a good weekend of boxing for a holiday weekend here in the States. By the way, hope everyone had a happy Thanksgiving. I know I did. I'm still recovering from everything I ate and drank. <laughs> really good fun, though. Uh, it was good to see my... I've actually stayed up with my sister and her husband and their newborn baby celebrating his first Thanksgiving. It was awesome. Hope you guys enjoyed your holiday. But like I said, man, we had a good weekend of diehard kind of fights. Nothing, you know, big that the casuals would jump on and, and, and be excited about. But even if any casual fans did tune in, they got to see some great stuff, man. Um some more upsets. 2019 continues to be the year of the upset. So we'll talk about all that in a second. Of course, this is a big fight week. We got a big one coming up Saturday. Possibly the most anticipated fight of the year. I don't think that's any hyperbole to say the rematch between Andy Ruiz Jr. and Anthony Joshua in Saudi Arabia is the biggest, most anticipated fight of this year because of what took place the first time around. So my question to you guys, do you want a fight party? The card's going to be on early here in the States because, like I said, it's live from Daraya, Saudi Arabia. I think the, the zone broadcast, the main card, starts at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's noon for you guys on the West Coast. So it's going to be an early fight party. I think it's the main event's going to go on, I believe, around 5 p.m. When I get confirmation on that, because Matchroom does a great job of keeping the press informed during fight week, and they'll usually send out estimated ring walk times to all of us which is awesome i mean like down to the minute estimated ring walk times so uh if you guys want to see that let me know we'll do a fight party for the main event and as soon as i know the exact ring walk time or i should say the estimated ring walk time i'll let you guys know but i think it's going to be around 5 p.m eastern standard so it looks like a lot of you guys want to see the fight party i'm just looking in the live chat here so we will go ahead and do that man Live fight party, Ruiz, Joshua 2 this Saturday, right here on this channel. That's going to be a lot of fun, so make sure you tune in. Your fee for this week, your fee is to get over to iTunes, okay? Uh, I haven't asked you guys to do this in a while, but I want you to go on iTunes. Find me, Montero Unboxing, The Neutral Corner. Just search for my name, Michael Montero Unboxing. It should pop up. And I want you to, if you're not subscribed already on iTunes... I get it. If you're watching on YouTube or, or listening somewhere else, you don't want to do it on iTunes, that's fine. Just get over there and leave a rating and a review, okay? If you've done one, please do the other, all right? Uh, iTunes, Montero Unboxing, rating and review. Real quick, some thank yous, some shout-outs I got to give. Um, when I was up there in North Carolina visiting my sister this weekend for Thanksgiving, I got to, over to 4M Fitness. And I got this awesome shirt of Levante Early, the world-class gentleman. He's the undefeated prospect out of Charlotte, North Carolina that I've been telling you guys about. 10-0 this year. Uh, I think 2020 is going to be a big breakout year for him. So, um, yeah, check out this tee, man. This is awesome. Long sleeve, soft, awesome. So thank you to Levante. Big ups to him. And uh, his coach, Adam Esposito, to Robert Sawyer up there at 4M Fitness, just outside Charlotte, North Carolina. Anybody watching or listening to the show in the Carolinas, you want to get a good workout on, make sure you check them out. Um, not just boxing, all martial arts, <clears throat> all martial arts, not just boxing. They've got MMA guys in there, kickboxers in there, professionals, professional kickboxers in there, and MMA fighters. So it's not just boxing, it's everybody. And look, yeah, we have a little bit of a rivalry between MMA and boxing and all that stuff. But guys, you know what? It's all love. The martial arts brotherhood, sisterhood. It's a true um, badass community of individuals that put forth blood, literally blood, sweat, and tears in the ring, in the cage, the mat, whatever it is. So we got love for everybody in the martial arts game. And um, I just, you know, I felt like I needed to put that out there because I think sometimes I get a little caught up in the, UFC fans versus boxing fans thing, and the, the reality is I respect everybody who fights, man, regardless of your discipline. Of course, my main love is boxing, but I got love for everybody. So I want to throw that out there, and regardless of your discipline, again, if you're in the Carolinas, check out 4M Fitness. Robin and Adam, they'll take care of you guys. Also, another quick thank you 
to my friends Mario Lopez and Steve Kim out in Los Angeles for this badass t-shirt of the three knockdown rule podcast yeah i'm going to go ahead and promote another podcast right here on my podcast uh you guys i'm sure a lot of you are already listening and watching i think they got some stuff going on youtube now too uh awesome ass shirt and they sent one for tiff as well so thank you very much guys and of course their show's awesome i listen every week okay now that we got the preliminaries out of the way Let's get on with the show. One quick news item to uh, talk about. The WBC removes Luis Neri from their bantamweight mandatory spot. Remember, he was the mandatory for Nor- Nordin Ubali, who beat Noyoya Inoue's younger, I think it's younger brother, recently. So now, because Neri is no longer the mandatory for Ubali, and for those of you who don't know why, it's because Luis Neri missed weight. It was over by a pound Uh, for his fight with Emmanuel Rodriguez, which never took place because Rodriguez did the right thing. So I love this. The WBC doing the right thing here. Let's give them credit. They moved him from the ratings. Mauricio Suleiman went on record saying, hey, he needs to move up to uh, super bantamweight, maybe even featherweight. (laughs) I thought that was pretty good for Mauricio Suleiman. Maybe even featherweight this guy needs to move up to. And guess what? I agree. Anyway, this clears the path now for Naoya Inoue to avenge his brother, and get a unification fight. And this would honestly, because Luis Neri has left the Bantamweight ratings, we've taken him off on all the ratings committees. Any credible ratings committees removed him as Bantamweight. I think Inoue and Ubali would be a number one versus number two fight. Inoue's already got the Ring Magazine uh, Bantamweight title, right? But if he fights Ubali, that's truly number one versus number two. That creates lineage and all that good stuff for the purists out there. Maybe we get that fight early next year. How great would it be? Top rank just signed in a way, right? That first fight in America, unification with Ubali on ESPN. Holy shit. Sign me up for some of that. Also, the WBC suspends Andres Gutierrez, who missed his scheduled fight with Oscar Valdez, which I'll talk about in a second. Weighed in 11 pounds over. 11 pounds over. It was a... Junior lightweight fight, he weighed in as, well, basically as a welterweight. Because anything over 140 to 147 pounds is a welterweight. So this dude weighed in as a welterweight. So the WBC suspends him and they're investigating further. So good stuff from the WBC doing the right thing. If you're going to have a weight management program, which they do, and I commend them being the only sanctioning organization that has a weight management program, anywhere as detailed as theirs, you got to force the rules. And they're doing the right thing with both of those situations, okay? With the Neri and Gutierrez situations. So let's review what took place last week. Um, We'll go right to the Cosmo in Las Vegas top rank on ESPN+. And we'll start with Oscar Valdez, who was making his debut at 130, was supposed to fight Andres Gutierrez. As I just said, he comes in overweight. So he ends up fighting last-minute replacement Adam Lopez out of Glendale, California. That's just outside of Los Angeles. Some really good fighters coming out of Glendale. Some good gyms there. A lot of Armenian fighters live and train out there. Of course, a lot of Mexican fighters live and train out there as well. So Valdez scores a TKO 7 win over Lopez with some controversy and with some trouble. This was a WBC 130-pound eliminator. He is now the mandatory, Valdez is, for Miguel Burchelt. More on that in a second. But let's talk about uh, Lopez real quick. So Lopez drops Oscar Valdez in the second round. And I thought boxed even in rounds through six. I had it three rounds apiece. I don't know how, what you guys had in this fight if you saw it. I thought it was three rounds apiece. I think all three judges had Valdez up at the time of the stoppage, which doesn't surprise me, sadly. But I thought Lopez fought on even terms in, in, in regards to rounds. And then with the knockdown, I had him ahead by one point, six rounds through. So he only has one loss in his career coming into this fight. He only had one loss. And it was a close, controversial decision. May as well have been undefeated. And yes, last second replacement, that's always hard. So Gail says she had the same score as I did. And guys, you should trust Gail's scorecard because she knows what she's talking about. So obviously I got that one right. Yeah, man, I thought Lopez was up by a point. All three judges, though, again, had it for Valdez. Uh, Valdez has been dropped several times. I was ringside when he got dropped by, I believe, Ruben Tamayo. Wow, there's a name that <laughs> you got to be a diehard of a diehard to even know who Ruben Tamayo is. But I believe it was Ruben Tamayo who dropped 
Oscar Valdez, like in the first round, maybe second round of their fight at the StubHub Center. It might have been on the Bradley Vargas undercard, if I remember correctly. But I've, I've been ringside and seen Valdez dropped a couple times. The thing is, he generally speaking gets dropped early and then recovers well and closes well. And he did in this fight too. You know what I'm saying? He, he closed well and he did hurt Lopez in that seventh round. Was clearly hurt. But I thought ref, referee Russell Mora stopped the fight prematurely. Uh, Lopez, to me, was still defending himself. He was reeling, he was getting tagged, but he was still defending himself. And it felt like a premature stoppage. Everyone on the ESPN broadcast said the same thing. Everybody who was ringside in the media said the same thing. Premature stoppage. Now look, we've had five deaths in boxing this year. So whenever you have, and a couple of them were high-profile American deaths, right? With Maxim Dadashev, Patrick Day, those were broadcast fights here in the United States, uh, deaths that took place in the USA. And the fighters' last moments were seen live on air by fans. So that's, that's going to leave an imprint in referees' minds. And I think whenever you see that sort of thing, you get a little bit of an overreaction from some referees, and that's what we saw here. I remember Russell Moore was telling Lopez, you got to show me something. You got to show me something. Like Lopez was badly hurt and wasn't fighting back. I saw Lopez actually land a couple of counter punches to Valdez, who was teeing off. But I see Goodfellas in the chat says better safe than sorry. I agree. Look, I would rather have a, a ref stop it too early than too late. From my perspective, Valdez had gained the momentum and was going to charge hard over the last few rounds. And it was going to go the distance, in my opinion. But he probably would have won. Uh, it, he was already ahead on the scorecards. So I think he would have won, you know, 8-4 kind of decision or something like that. Uh, it's possible that Lopez could have came back. But to me, the, the momentum of the fight was shifting in Valdez's direction. It was becoming more of his kind of fight. But I'd rather see more, you know, just wait 10 more seconds, you know. But it was a, to me, it was a bit of an overreaction. I think some people are jumping down Russell Moore's throat. I understand having that reaction. But keep in mind, guys, everything that's happened recently in boxing. Uh, but again, if you're a ref, man, you got to understand the difference between a guy taking a prolonged beating versus a guy who just got buzzed in a fight that he was arguably winning. Completely different situations. All five fighter deaths this year were not like this situation at all. So I, I thought just, just an overreaction from Russell Mora. However, guys, what can you expect with a year like this? We've had a lot of tragedies. So anyway, Valdez now is the mandatory for Miguel Burchelt. I like Valdez. He's entertaining. To me, he's just really flawed. I feel like several years ago when I saw him, again, against uh, Ruben Tamayo, that fight always just stands out to me because I, I saw it up close and personal for the first time. This dude does everything at one speed. Once he gets going, once he really warms up in the middle rounds, he charges really hard, and he's, he's a tough little guy. You saw the fight against Scott Quigg where uh, he had a broken jaw, right? He was fighting against a much bigger guy, an experienced guy, but he closed the show strong. He always does, but now he's at 130. His power is not going to carry over as much. He's going to be fighting guys who are bigger, who can punch harder, he does, he, I think he has fresher legs because he doesn't have to drain himself down to 126. But I don't know about this Miguel Burchelt matchup. I, I, I got to favor Burchelt right now. Maybe we'll all look stupid because I think most of you probably agree with me. Maybe we'll all look stupid next year. Top rank knows what they're doing. As I've said many times, you should never second guess top ranks matchmakers. They know what they're doing. But... Trini in the chat says Burchell will get an easy KO. I don't know if he's going to get an easy KO, man. I don't know if anything is going to come easy against Oscar Valdez because he's a tough, tough kid. Again, I go back to that Scott Quigg fight. Dude, fighting with a badly busted jaw. That was another one I was ringside for and just saw it, dude. It was, it was nasty. That, that, he's tough. Burchell's flawed in some ways too, but I just think style-wise... I don't like that matchup for Valdez. Yeah, Goodfellas Pulp Fiction in the chat says, Oscar does not adjust well. I agree with you. The way he adjusts is he just increases the volume, if you will. You know what I'm saying? If he was a pitcher, he puts a few more miles per hour on the fastball. 
later in the in the in the game when most pitchers wear down his pitches get a little faster a little more heat but it's the same pitch coming at you every single time straight over the plate so if you're a good batter you can adjust to that shit and you can get on base and that's just what i'm seeing more and more and more as this kid fights entertaining fighter he's gonna struggle at 130 against the best that's just what i see right now but apparently he's lined up to fight Miguel Burchell, and that's what we're going to see early next year. I mean, look, that's a great fight action-wise. I really want to see that. If Top Rank puts it on the right date, right venue on regular ESPN, that's going to do numbers, seriously, because that's a really entertaining matchup. Also on this card, Carl Frampton shuts out previously unbeaten Tyler McCreary out of Ohio in a 10-rounder, also at 130 pounds. Uh, man, McCreary looks so much bigger than Frampton, who really looks like a bantamweight to me. He really just, he's just a short, compact little dude, but he's so athletic. He fights well above, I think, his natural weight and size. And he did his best work at 22, did some really good work at 26. Now he's at 30. He's another guy, though, where he's at in his career and uh, just his size differential between him and some of the top guys He's going to struggle at 130 as well, in my opinion. Again, maybe I'll be proven wrong. So Jamel Herring, Mr. Semper Fi, former Marine, was there for that fight. And I talked about it right then and there. They want to do Carl Frampton, Jamel Herring in Belfast, possibly. Belfast, how cool is that? On St. Patrick's Day next year. Sign me up for some of that shit. I'm going to tell you guys right now. If my schedule's cleared up and I can make that travel... I can make it over there. I'm going to have to go cover that one live for Ring Magazine because that's going to be a crazy atmosphere. And yes, I agree with you, Trini, in the chat. It's going to be a hell of a fight. Just in terms of matchups, Herring is much bigger, naturally larger guy. Remember, he fought at 135 for a long time and fought against some good guys at 35, and he's melted down to 130 where he has a natural size advantage. Frampton moving up, going to be punching up at Herring all day. Uh, I think Frampton is the faster, more athletic guy. But I think that obviously Herring is closer to his prime, naturally bigger, stronger, longer. Man, that's going to be a hell of an interesting matchup to me. And especially over in Belfast, if it really does happen there. Because the crowd, I think, is going to push Frampton. And that's where Frampton should have been fighting during the peak of his career. I don't know why he tried to come over here and fight in America briefly. uh, In some locations that just didn't make any sense. He should have been fighting over there this whole time, or he could have been doing huge, huge crowds. Anyway, I like this matchup a lot. And what I love, this is what Top Rank does better than any other American promoter. I'm not going to say any promoter in the world, but better than any American promoter. They give you a storyline. They give you a storyline to follow if you're media and if you're a fan. You ain't got to be a diehard fan. You could be a casual fan. If you were a casual fan watching this card, and again, this is... Oscar Valdez versus Adam Lopez. This wasn't a huge card, but if you just happen to be chilling at mom's house, bored as hell while she was cleaning shit up and you were flipping through the, uh, maybe you were in town for the Thanksgiving holiday and, and while all the parents were upstairs, you know, playing cards or drinking and talking, whatever, you're downstairs and you flip through the channels or you see ESPN Plus and you turn this on after these fights, which were entertaining, They're giving you a storyline for next year. You know who Oscar Valdez is going to fight next. You know who Carl Frampton is going to fight next. If you've been following along with Top Rank and what they've been doing with Jamel Herring, then you're very familiar with his story. And now you know he's going to fight Carl Frampton next. So you've already got storylines built out for 2020. Other promoters here in America don't do that as well as Top Rank. I think that they really do a good job of that. Also on this card, You had uh, Patrick Teixeira out of Brazil beating Carlos Adames in a minor upset. Don't get it twisted. This was an upset. I see a lot of people on Twitter. Oh, man, I knew Teixeira was going to win. Shut up. You weren't saying that before this fight. Most people thought Adames was going to win. Now, look, I thought it would be competitive, but my money was on Adames by decision. And that's what top rank was banking on. Because Adamas is their guy, Puerto or not Puerto Rican, I'm sorry, Dominican Republic native, fights out of America now, but they've been uh, with him all the way. And he's their guy, and they were trying to line him up into a title shot. This was a WBO junior middleweight eliminator. Patrick Teixeira is a golden boy guy 
Golden Boy Promotions signed him. I remember seeing this guy on several of those uh, small little fight club cards. I think it was Hollywood, what do they call it? Friday, LA Fight Club. I think it was LA Fight Club that they used to do at the Belasco Theater downtown LA. And I saw this kid a few times and he was vulnerable through a million punches, awkward as hell, tall, lanky, volume puncher, fun as hell to watch. But there were some defensive liabilities. He was KO'd in two rounds by Curtis Stevens back in 2016. Everyone kind of forgot about him. But man, he pulled it together. He's won uh, four in a row since. And this was the biggest win of his career. He is now lined up for a... He might end up getting the title. This was, as I said, a WBO eliminator at 154. Jaime Munguia had that title belt. He dumped it because he's moving to 160. So either Teixeira is going to get that title or he's going to fight the next top-ranked opponent for the title. So either way, man, he's lined up for a massive opportunity. You got to be happy for him because a guy that was pretty much forgotten about after getting destroyed by Curtis Stevens a few years ago, stayed with it. Persistence. Guys, it's one of the keys to life, man. And actually, you know, I'm looking at my notes. He's 5-0 and since that loss. Persistence is the key to life. So often, the people that end up winning in any endeavor, doesn't have to be boxing, it could be business, it could be school, it could be anything that you're working on. The people that eventually win are just the people that stick it out. Most people don't make it and they give up after a year, after two years. So the first time that there's some real turmoil, they back away, they shy away, they find some other avenue, they go some different direction. But the people that just stick with it. Gail brings up another great example in the chat, Renee Alvarado. There you go, man. 2019 is full of these stories, full of these stories. That's why I'm saying 2019 has turned out to be a great career, not necessarily for the casual fan because you're not getting those huge matchups, but for diehard fight freaks who love stories like this, man, you're getting a bunch of them this year. When it comes to the year-end awards that are coming up soon, I don't know who to vote for in some of these categories. That means it's been a good year. So Patrick Teixeira uh, now lined up for a WBO title shot, might get the title. So he drops Adamas in the seventh round. Adamas was in control in that first half, but after he got dropped and faced adversity for the first time in his pro career, he faded into Shera, who has dealt with adversity before and failed in the past, pushed through. And he, to me, swept. Not almost swept the second half of this fight. Wins 116-111 on one card, 114-113 twice on another. I thought those two scores were a little too close. I thought this was probably a 7-5 kind of fight for Teixeira. So anyway, Adamas has had it all his way. And now, for the first time, he's facing adversity. What can he do with it? Can he pull a Patrick Teixeira three, four years from now? Can Adamas, who by then will probably be a middleweight, can he get himself back in the mix? We shall see. Okay, that is what took place in Las Vegas. Let's go overseas, man. There was also a card... Uh, Queensberry card. So that's Frank Warren's show for Birmingham, England on ESPN Plus here in the States on BT Sport over there in the UK. And this was an upset special. Now, again, I'm seeing a lot of people on Twitter and everywhere else saying, oh, man, I knew this wasn't an upset. No, it, yes, it was. Stop fronting. You knew. You knew who you were picking before this fight. And now you want to act like it wasn't an upset. John Rael Casimero from the Philippines TKO3 win over Zolani Tete, who was making a fourth defense of his WBO Bantamweight title. Uh, Casimero, who I think was 28-4 coming into this fight, had lost four times. Now, he was the shorter guy in this fight. Uh, ha- had good experience, had fought a couple of good guys. But again, four L's coming in, including a TKO5 loss to uh, Maruti Mathailane in 2011. He's been dropped multiple times in fights that he's either won or lost since then. So this is a guy who's been knocked out. This is a guy who's been dropped multiple times, came in as the shorter guy. Was absolutely the B-side here, right? But he gets the W over Zolani Titi, who was down twice in the third. Now, Titi had lost three times prior, but two of those were controversial decisions. His really only true loss was also... Tomaruti Mathaili, a TKO5 loss in 2010. The difference, he hasn't been hurt or dropped since. 
He's looked pretty damn good. Almost unbeatable at times. Not, not unbeatable, but really, really good. Really strong. And Casimiro's looked vulnerable, even in fights he's won. So make no mistake about it, guys. This is one of the top upsets of the year. This is absolutely in the top five, maybe top two or three upsets of 2018. I'm serious. I was really surprised just to see people on uh, Twitter saying, man, this wasn't no upset, man. Casimiro's the real deal. Yeah, yeah. You weren't saying that shit last week, okay? A lot of people thought that Zolani Tete, who I think originally was supposed to fight Nonito Donaire in the World Boxing Super Series, but that got busted up. That didn't happen for different reasons. Uh, they were picking him to beat Donaire, right? He was seen as one of the top Bantamweights. So um, now it's Casimiro. Now, I don't know where we're going to go from here, if there's going to be a rematch or anything else. But the way that this happened, it was kind of a short, chopping right hand on the inside from Casimiro that landed right on the temple of Tete. It was leaning to his side and could just never recover from this. Great win for the Filipino. And um, another awesome upset in 2019. I'm telling you, man, this year keeps delivering. Also, uh, Saturday, November 30th, we had a card from Matchroom on the Zone from Monte Carlo. A battle of undefeated Russians. Alexander Besputin improves to 14-0 with a unanimous decision win over Razhab Abutev. Wins the vacant WBA regular welterweight title. And um, now he's lined up, I guess, to fight Manny Pacquiao, who is the WBA super champion. So are we going to see Pacquiao fight Besputin? I don't know if PBC wants any of that because there's no money in it. So I don't know if we're going to see that or not. Uh, PBC has a good relationship with the WBA and will do their bidding. So I don't think the WBA is going to force Pacquiao to fight this guy anytime soon. That's just my prediction. But this was a battle, again, undefeated Russians. I think coming in, Putin was like 13-0, maybe 14-0. And Butte was like 12-0. So both guys out of Russia, but Butev fighting out of Brooklyn. East Coast gyms, Best Putin fighting out of Oxnard, West Coast gyms. What do I say all the time on this show? The West Coast runs boxing in this country. When you see a West Coast guy going up an East Coast guy, nine times out of ten these days, West Coast guy is going to win. I know that drives East Coast guys nuts, but it's just the truth. We've seen so many examples of it in recent years, yet here is another one. Better gyms out in L.A. than there are in New York. Better preparation. I told you guys last week, Best Putin's fought the better opposition, was going to be better prepared, and you saw that. So the scores were 116, 112 three times, and those were perfect scores. It's exactly how I saw the fight. Also on this card, uh, undefeated U.K. lightweight Joe Cordina stays undefeated, and Chinese heavyweight Zalei Zhang stays undefeated. They both win. And Cecilia Brekus beats a cab driver who had no business being in the ring with her to defend her undisputed welterweight championship. She is now 36-0, and 0, only nine knockouts, knockouts in 25% of her wins. Man, if only she had power. She's really good looking, really smart, very skilled. It's just, she's missing that element that, that fight fans want to see. If she had an eraser, if she knocked girls out, she could be a star. I mean, she's a star over in her home country. But I'm just saying she could be a crossover because she's she's beautiful. She's a very beautiful woman. She's very, very smart and skilled. She knows how to box, knows how to fight. Just doesn't have that extra element that fans are going to want, particularly for, for a female fighter to cross over. We go back to the Ronda Rousey example. She crossed over because she submitted girls, right? She'd get them in arm bars. She'd uh, s- submit them. She'd rip their arms other socket dislocate their arms and stuff like that like that brutality that's what fans want to see and that's how she crossed over in in female mma and i think that you know look Layla ali crossed over in in female boxing but that's because of her name she wasn't necessarily the best fighter in the world best female fighter in the world in that era but she was the most famous because of her name short of that if you're a female fighter and you want to break through, especially in boxing, you got to have that power. And Brekus just doesn't have that. And that's what's always going to hurt her from being a mainstream star. However, there's talk down the line of Brekus and Katie Taylor fighting. Now, that's a fight that will move the needle. Is that going to move the needle here in the United States? Yeah, with diehards. But over in Europe, that's going to be a big fight if that can happen and both of them stay undefeated. 
So we shall see. That is the review for last week, guys. Let's get to some Q&A. We got a big preview show coming up Thursday. Big preview show. And then, of course, live fight party Saturday for Ruiz Joshua 2. Also, if you haven't heard my latest segment on SB Nation Radio last night with Dave Smith on his show, uh, check that out. I got it posted here on the channel, and I got it out there on all the iTunes and Spreaker and all that. I'm going to start posting those radio segments more and make sure that they get out there, uh, just the audio, uh, in podcast form so you guys can hear them. Let's see. Let's see, let's see, let's see. Trini Cervantes says, Christy Martin was a beast in her day. Yes, she was, and she was willing to fight anybody. I think, didn't she fight Leila Ali, who was way bigger and made all the concessions? B. Muteman says, Ann Wolf is a beast. Yeah, Ann Wolf was a beast. Just... She didn't have the part of the packages that Cecilia Breckhus has. <laughs> she had the power and the beast part. She didn't have the other stuff. <laughs> she didn't have the personality, you know, of like Layla Ali and, and, and the good looks of Cecilia Breckhus. So I just feel like every really good female boxer has missed just a piece of the puzzle. You know what I'm saying? At some point, one's going to come along that has every piece. And maybe they won't be the best fighter, but they'll have the pieces that can make them break, break through and cross over that Ronda Rousey type of, of female boxer. But uh, every one of them just fallen short so far. The closest was Layla Ali. And again, a lot of that had to do with her name. Great personality, though. She was a good fighter, just wasn't great. But great personality, very good on camera. Very, she still gets all kinds of commercials and sponsorships and stuff, right? She's still doing all sorts of ads and stuff. So uh, she's done very well. But how much of that's off her name? You know what I mean? Let's see. Gail says, uh, Gail Falcato in the chat says, Sinicia Estrada is well worth watching. She's got the stopping power. She goes three-minute rounds. She's a Mexican-American gal from East San Diego. Lots to like. I agree. I know Estrada and her people, they're, they're good people. Um, Estrada doesn't necessarily have the power. And I don't know how good she is on the, on the mic, on the camera just yet. She can, she can brush up a little bit better, but she does a pretty good job. And the thing with her, they're building up something with her. Uh, East L.A. I was going to say, Gail, I thought she was from East L.A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You say East San Diego. I was like, that doesn't sound right coming out of my mouth. East L.A. And um, the thing with, with Sanicia Estrada, I want to see her leave the West Coast. I want to see her take that show on the road. I want to see her fight in Chicago. I think that it'd be really smart for her to fight in Chicago on, on uh, one of those uh, matchroom cards. Or if Gennady Golovkin ends up fighting there early next year, which they're talking about, him fighting the mandatory, the Polish kid, I can, can't remember his name, in Chicago. Put Sanicia Estrada there on that card. Get her going with those fans. You know, just get her to travel a little bit. She's got... A chance. She's got a chance. I just don't know if she's got the crossover appeal. DS Kennels is asking, Mike, have you ever thought about covering other sports to expand the MLB brand? Yes, I have. I- I've thought about getting involved in American football. Uh, I have some connections in that world. I know American football pretty good. The problem is I'm just not as passionate about any sport as I am about boxing. So could I cover it? You know, could I do a good job covering other sports, even basketball? You know, I played basketball at a pretty high level, uh, pretty skilled with it back in the day, pretty knowledgeable. Um, I don't like the NBA anymore. It'd be really hard to cover the NBA because they've just gotten so soft and pussied up that game too much, in my opinion. I miss the, the 90s, you know what I'm saying, the 80s and 90s when I was a kid. That's when the, the league really, to me, had its golden era. But, uh, you know, yeah, I've thought about it, man. I just, you know, if, if an opportunity came along, we'll see. But at this point, you know, I do this with boxing because I'm passionate about it. I do make some money, but I'm not getting rich. I could make a lot more money if I covered the NFL. A hell of a lot more money. But I'm not as passionate about it. And it's, it's not necessarily about the money for me. It's about the love. You know what I'm saying? At least at this point. Not to sound corny. It's true, though. Uh, San Luis is asking about pay-per-view buys for Wilder Ortiz too. Funny how no one's talking about that, right? Remember, uh, 
certain members of the boxing press, particularly in America, particularly with the Boxing Writers Association of America, could not wait to discuss how poorly the gate, or how, how low the gate was for Tyson Fury, Otto Valin. Never mind that they sold it at almost 90% of capacity. I think more than 90% of capacity for what they uh, chartered that arena for. And it was a last-minute production, basically, to save the MGM's ass because of what happened with Canelo, Kovalev not working out. That's what was supposed to be there on that weekend. So it was top rank moving in and getting an awesome site fee from MGM to basically bail them out because they were screwed. So actually, that was a financial win for that promotion. But anyway... (laughs) Uh, the, some members of the press couldn't wait to talk about how low the gate was because it was a low gate in, in traditional Vegas, you know, Nevada boxing gates. The, the history, you think, 10 plus million dollar gates, and it was nowhere near that, but it was never supposed to be. A lot of times they can't wait, some of these media members, to tell you the ratings. I saw, yeah, with, with the Wilder Ortiz uh, two preview shows, the shoulder programming that was on Fox. They were telling you guys about the ratings. It was, you know, millions of people watching these shows and it's more than who's ever tuned in. None of that shit correlated to ticket sales. I told you guys the truth about what was going on there with ticket sales from my man, Jim Boone, the best ticket broker in the game, who never lies. Because uh, he, he's dependent on telling the truth to run his business. You know, this is his livelihood. He does it 24 hours a day. So um, I told you guys the truth about that. And none of this... None of these, none of this shoulder programming correlated to, it didn't translate to big time pay-per-view numbers. It struggled. I don't even think it sold 200,000 pay-per-view buys. And because of that, these same dudes who can't wait to tell you when another card shits the bed and doesn't, these guys couldn't wait to tell you how bad the Crawford Con pay-per-view sales were as if that was a big surprise. That was a shit show that shouldn't have been on pay-per-view. No one was surprised by that. But when you go around saying that Deontay Wilder is a boxing superstar, and I'm not going to sit here and shit on Deontay Wilder. I think he's been getting too much criticism recently. It's not Deontay's fault. It's the fault of his handlers and his uh, allies, if you will, in the media. People who kind of basically are quasi-promoters for him that have a press pass in the boxing media. Um, You know, it's really their fault some of the criticism that he has to take the brunt of, unfortunately, for him. But, man, they go around telling you he's the biggest superstar in boxing. Look at these social media movements, right? Remember that report that came out about uh, social media, Google lookups or GIF lookups or something like that related to Deontay Wilder, and he was on the top of this one list. That was selectively edited, very massage data that wasn't taken over a two- or three-year period. It was taken during a spike period where he was trending because of some reality TV show stuff. And they tried to say that's going to correlate to him being this massive mega star. Dude, it's just not there yet. Now, he's got the potential. He certainly has the potential. It's not there yet because he's, the, the, the pay-per-view numbers aren't there. The ticket sales aren't there. Now, I should mention, if they priced Wilder Ortiz 2 tickets for the same price range that, they, that top rank priced Fury Valine tickets, it would have sold very well. They just overpriced the tickets, but they overpriced the tickets because they're overpaying him because they have to match the offer that the zone made that they made him reject. Part of him rejecting that offer was, hey man, you turn that shit down. We guarantee you, we'll pay you what they were offering you going forward. That's why they got to overprice tickets and put everything on pay-per-view. Now they'll make it all, everything that they lost on that fight They'll make back with the Fury rematch. So, so don't worry, Deontay Wilder, PBC guys. They're going to make all that money back with the Tyson Fury rematch. Nurkan Atkayev with the Super Chat Pledge out of Hong Kong. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Man, that's an awesome Super Chat Pledge, dude. Thank you very, very much. He says, have you ever thought about trying to learn another martial art? I love boxing, but recently started jujitsu. It is amazing. We'll keep learning both. Funny you ask that. I actually did about a year of jujitsu and judo when I was around 18 years old. I was actually funny. I was probably 17, actually. I was working at Burger King. <laughs> Don't laugh. I was working at Burger King, 
And the shift manager, evening manager guy, he was a, a judo fighter. And he competed. Imagine that. A dude who worked at Burger King competed at a very high level in judo. He was like a regional champion. He taught classes. And he worked at a gym nearby as well. He, he just kind of worked both jobs. And he asked me and my friend at the time to, uh, to come up there to his gym. And we had to buy the gi, but he didn't charge us for anything else. And I went up there for like a year and I tried judo, jujitsu. I like jujitsu better than judo. I just didn't like judo. I didn't like being on the ground and using my legs to wrap dudes up. I, I just did not like that stuff. It just did not work for me. But I actually did try it for about a year. I did like jujitsu better. It's just my body, uh, body shape, body style, I don't know what you want to call it. My build is very good for boxing. And it's actually good for kickboxing too. I'm just not, my legs aren't that flexible. You know, when I was younger, they were, but you know, I mean, I could touch my toes and shit, but those dudes are kicking way above their head. I can't do all that shit, but I can move my hands really well. And I got long ass monkey arms. So boxing works for me. I think judo and even jujitsu, Muay Thai, you know, fight styles like that are better for shorter, stockier guys. Uh, because it's about being a little bit closer to your opponent. For me with boxing, if I could keep you at the end of my jab, dude, I got long ass arms. I'm 6'4 with long arms. I'm kind of built like Deontay Wilder, just with bigger legs. I don't have huge legs, but they're bigger than Deontay Wilder's. But I'm kind of built like him. Uh, not as ripped as he is right now, obviously. And I got a couple pounds on him because I'm not in the best shape right now. I'm probably like 230. I need to be 220, 215, really. But, um, but yeah, anyway, with that build, dude, boxing just works better for me. But also, I'm 40 years old. So maybe at some point in the future, I'll dabble in a different martial art. But for right now, I just, you know, boxing is my favorite and it works for me with my body style. I say for you, keep doing both. Absolutely keep doing both. And you might want to incorporate something else. But jujitsu is very practical. Um, some of the things that I did... From, the, from those lessons I took when I was 17, a year that's, I can still do some of this stuff. Not great, but I, it does stay with you to a certain degree. And then when I was in the Marine Corps, we, called, we did what we called line training, which is kind of a mixture of some jujitsu, some judo, some boxing. Uh, just basically, you know, when, when your weapon jams, and you know you won't have your knife gets knocked out of your hand, and you you ain't got nothing you can hit someone with. You gotta use your hands, right? So in all you know all out warfare, you're gonna keep going until your hands give out. So we trained, uh, we called it line training, but it was kind of like MMA. And I of course did that for a while in the Marine Corps. So I have a decent rounded out education on this stuff. But of course, boxing is the main one. But thank you so much for your super chat, man. That's a great question. And guys, I think regardless of how you feel about uh, boxing and anything else, you should try all this stuff, especially when you're young, man. Try all of it. What do you got to lose? And the more you try different things, the more you can appreciate what you like, what you don't like, what works for you. The thing now, man, is we have so much, not just like information with nutrition, but also sports medicine, like the science of sports. And... People, athletes are finding out which sport their body is the best fit for more now than ever. You look at someone like, remember Michael Phelps, the swimmer? That dude's built perfectly for swimming. That's an example, right? Usain Bolt, if you look at his build, he's built perfectly for sprinting. So I'm just built well for boxing for a 6'4 guy. You guys find out where you fit. You know what I'm saying? What body style and mentality and the rules and everything that fit for you. And sometimes, you know, you got to try different things to figure out what fits for you. So I highly recommend it. You're doing the right thing, brother. Keep it up. And thank you again for the super chat. Piglet Smith asked, can I be the lightweight champion if you walked, if you wanted to at my current weight? <laughs> yeah, as long as you don't punch me to the body, I'm good. <laughs> hey, you know, look, I have been told this. I feel funny what I'm about to say, but I've been told by numerous trainers that train professional fighters that I've worked mitts with and done drills with and just hung out with in the gym with. 
And, you know, sometimes you'll do that. You'll be like, ah, oh, shit, you want to get in here and hit some mitts, Mike? All right, you're hanging out. Jump in here, dude. And I've been told by a number of people that I do got a world-class right hand. I, I'm just going to leave that right there. The right hand's money. Everything else is shit. <laughs> but the right hand's money. So if I land that right hand on you, hey, it's, you know, I don't know if it's like Deontay Wilder's. I'm not going to say that. But for a weekend warrior, the right hand's legit. All right, guys, maybe one more, and then we'll bounce out of here. Hmm. Oh, DS Kendall's 210 with a really good question. This is something I haven't really uh, brought up. Has there been any backlash behind the scenes on how Golden Boy Promotions handled the Andrew Concio situation? For those of you who don't know, after Andrew Concio lost to Rene Alvarado, Golden Boy Promotions released him like a day or two later. And it was ugly. It was an ugly divorce. It was not amicable. Very, very ugly. I don't know whose side to take in it. I'm trying not to take a side. But if you listen to Eric Gomez at Golden Boy, he'll basically tell you, man, Andrew Concio dissed the shit out of us several times, especially the week of the fight. Concio had some interviews and uh, was kind of bashing Golden Boy. Basically, I'm paraphrasing, but basically saying, man, they're not promoting me good enough. I should, I'm fighting at this same venue out at the Fantasy Springs Casino that I've been fighting at forever. I should be fighting at Staples Center. I, I think what, it comes down to this, guys. Concio felt that he should have been fighting on that Canelo Kovalev undercard, right? And it was Ryan Garcia who got the nod. Ryan Garcia bashed the shit out of Golden Boy nonstop. But they made up, and he ended up not only getting a big contract with them, but he fought in the co-main of that Canelo Kovalev card. Did, certainly did not belong there. It did not deserve that. So Andrew Conceo, in my opinion, has a legitimate beef by him saying, look, I should have been on that damn card. And I agree with them. That Conceo-Alvarado fight should have been the co-main to that card. I think that would have been really good, and it would have been – uh, just the right move and the way to pay respects for Concio. Golden Boy Promotions will tell you, Concio, you're a part-time boxer, full-time gas company employee. We got you lined up. You wanted to retire several years ago after you lost to Joseph Diaz Jr. You were disillusioned with the sport. We took you on. We rebuilt you. We got you into a title fight. We got you a rematch with Machado, right? So you beat him. Then we got you a second fight. Well, that was contractually obligated but still you got a payday for that and then we got you this rematch with Elvarado which was a mandatory and if had you won that you could have gone on to bigger and better things so both sides have a point but I'm always going to side with the fighter and I think that they really should have put Concio on that Canelo card I'm looking here at Gail Falkenthal's comment she says I thought Concio was fairly polite about his gripe but Golden Boy Boxing has got to be getting sick and tired of public criticism. Concio is the straw. Yeah, and Golden Boy the camel. Yeah, I tend to agree, Gail. I mean, I could see Eric Gomez's point. Like, look, dude, you were basically a semi-retired gas employee worker who, who was kind of a weekend warrior boxer, and we got you lined up into a title fight where you pulled off this huge upset. What are you bitching about? So I, I do think, look, the bottom line is this. Concio got a little ahead of himself, calling out everybody in the division – didn't focus on Alvarado. And it wasn't like some fluke that Rene Alvarado beat him. He, he thoroughly dominated that fight for the most part. So Concio got a little ahead of himself. And you can see Golden Boy's, Golden Boy's point. It's like, dude, if you're going to bitch like this, at least show up and win big. Ryan Garcia, when it was time to put his money where his mouth was, you saw what he did on that Canelo Kovalev fight or uh, card. So... He put his money where his mouth was. He got the big knockout. We'll see how long that lasts. Again, I can see both sides of the story. I thought Golden Boy probably could have did better for him after he beat Machado. But maybe they were going to in 2020. Maybe that was the whole point. It's like, dude, beat your mandatory. We'll get you a unification fight in 2020 at Staples Center or StubHub or something like that where it's a, it's a step up. And Concio didn't perform. In this business... It's what have you done for me lately? And if you don't perform, that's it, guys. So, you know, boxing is 365, man. It's, it, this ain't the NBA where you can take, man, they don't even take plays off. They take half a season off 
and show up in the playoffs. In football, you can take plays off. There's a second string, a third string, there's a halftime. You don't get that in boxing. You can't take a fight off. You can't take a round off where something like this can happen. However, I think top rank's going to pick him up. If he's really interested in fighting on, I just don't know if he is. If he's interested in fighting on and really making a push and quitting his job and doing boxing 100% full-time, someone like Top Rank would know exactly what to do with him and how to market him. Could happen. We shall see. All right, guys. um, I think we're going to call it here. Good show, man. Good show. Oh, you know what? One One last question here from Nurkin. He asks, do I know what the issue is between Daniel Jacobs and his trainer, Andre Rozier? I don't know. Other than Daniel Jacobs, you know, couple losses, right? He had the loss to Golovkin, the loss to Canelo. And a lot of times when you lose a f- couple fights, you got to blame somebody if you're a fighter. The mentality of fighters this is just how it works. You got to make changes, right? It's like, oh man, I lost. This isn't working. What can I do differently? And usually they start with the trainer. So he made a, a move. You saw Gennady Golovkin do the same thing recently where he made a move. Sometimes you make a move with promoters and stuff, but it's usually they start with the trainer. The trainer always gets it first. That's a thankless job in this profession. It really, really is. So Andre Rosier is really pissed. He's every bit as pissed off at Daniel Jacobs as Abel Sanchez was at Gennady Golovkin, maybe even more mad. But because Golovkin is a bigger star and there's a lot of Golovkin detractors in the American media, they really blew up the Abel Sanchez situation a little bit more. Andre Rozier actually had nastier things to say about Daniel Jacobs, but it isn't really getting talked about as much. There's reasons for that. But I think the biggest reason why is Jacobs just isn't as big of a star as Golovkin is. That's the biggest reason, but not the only one. But yeah, I think for Jacobs, he just wants a different look to try to start things over at super middleweight. And unfortunately for Andre Rozier, he got the ax. You can't help but feel, feel for the guy. I thought he did a great job with Jacobs. I think Andre Rozier is a really good dude and a good trainer. We're going to end it there, guys. I'll see you Thursday. Big preview show. And, of course, we've got the, uh, the live fight party Saturday. Ruiz, Joshua 2. That's going to be a lot of fun. All right, guys, have a good night. I'll see you at the fights.